I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone, it's me Alex and welcome to episode 26 of Travel Talks where this week I'm joined by WBO female middleweight world champion boxer and two-time Olympian Savannah Marshall. I actually recorded this episode way back in January before Saunders got on board with Travel Talk, so it's just me doing the interview today. Savannah has such an interesting relationship with travel, from not really going away much as a child to visiting some of the most obscure destinations in the entire world through her amateur and professional boxing career. And Savannah's passion for travel really comes across in this episode as we get an insight into an area of her life which hasn't really been discussed in the media before. Thank you as always for listening to Travel Talks and before we get into the episode it would be amazing if you could click subscribe on wherever you're listening to this podcast. But anyway, I hope you enjoy hearing Savannah's stories just as much as I did. You travel the world, you meet these people, and it's all for free. Yeah. <laughs> That's the main plus for someone who's come from nothing, who'd only ever been to Spain, and the highlight of travel was the Isle of Wight. It's absolutely amazing. As soon as I went back to the change rooms, the next thing, security come. You've got to leave, you've got to leave. I'm like, well, I've just, I've just boxed. I'm, I'm still sweating. Can I get changed? You've got to leave, you haven't got a ticket. I was like, yeah, because I've boxed. No, 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 you need a ticket, you need a ticket. So the boys and the girls had went together and when we when we landed, we'd got split up. So the boys went to go and train with the Kazakhstani men and we went to go and train with the women. And we drove and we drove and we were in the van for about five hours. We were driving in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't even a road, it was like a dirt road. And then we got to this, this place and it, it, honestly, the only way I could describe it was like a prison. And I would like to experience teaching in Japan, but obviously with the whole, the language barrier and whatever, but without being a bit cheeky, I'm kind of hoping they'll just see on me see they are two-time Olympian and they'll just kind of give me a job. So Savannah Marshall, thank you so much for joining me on Travel Talks. Firstly, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Alex. First, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm quite interested in this one, not your usual boxing questions, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to kind of finding a little bit more out about what you do to travel in your own personal life, but of course, how travel has impacted your life as a boxer too. But before all of that, I want to take us back to your childhood and find out a little bit about how travel played a role in your childhood. So did you go away much as a child? I was quite lucky. I did. We didn't go away every year, so mm. there was... There was mum, dad, I've got a younger brother who's 18 months younger than me, and then an older sister, and there's 13-year age gap between me and my sister. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I never remember going abroad a lot. It was kind of like every other year, something like that, and it was always Spain. I remember mm. going to Ibiza when I was about eight. <laughs> 
Um, but one of my biggest holidays was actually when my sister got married mm. and she got married in Mexico, in Cancun. Nice. I think I was about 10 at the time. So it was when, I, it was kind of before Cancun kind of became this big party place. Mm. That was probably my first major, wow. Not uh, not like Spain's a little bit like Britain with sun, isn't it? So like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mexico was my first my first wow holiday. I remember because um, we said we we we've never had much money or anything like that. So we were in a little a little two star hotel, and my sister was in a in a massive hotel called the Moon Palace. Nice. Because she was getting married, and um, I remember there was a couple of footballers there. I remember that Wes Brown. I don't know if you can remember him. Yeah, but yeah. I remember Wes Brown and Kieran Dyer in Newcastle. He was there, and um, but I remember going from our hotel to her hotel, and there was just crocodiles laid like at the side of the road, like basking wow. in the sun. Yeah, and I I remember thinking oh, it's just a total different world. Yeah, ten year old from Hartlepool, suddenly that just seems like completely alien, surely. Yeah, it was one to remember, put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a particular fond memory from a trip away as a child? So they're me ones going abroad. Mm. My mum's one of seven girls. Really? So, yeah, one of seven <laughs> girls, seven sisters, well, seven sisters. And when they were younger, so they're all, they're all originally from Hartlepool. When they got the ages of 15, 16, they, they all went down south looking for summer work. Mm. So I think four or five of them all went to the Isle of Wight. And they all lived there at one point. My mum lived there. A um, couple of my aunties, but then they'd come back up or went elsewhere. But one of my aunties has lived there ever since she was 16. Mm. So I, I remember every summer we used to get the coach, the coach from um, Middlesbrough. It was hell. It was about that <laughs> on the stuffy coach. And we used to go to the Isle of Wight for about three or four weeks of the year. And it was brilliant. Do you still um, like enjoy going away in England nowadays? I went uh, I went back to the Isle of Wight last last summer mm. and it is, it's lovely. Obviously it's it's right right uh, right on the coast. Well it's just on little islands, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The weather, it's totally different from England. It's it's lovely. A lovely little little holiday. I definitely recommend. Yeah, nice one. So we'll keep around the childhood age because I want to talk about now essentially about how you started getting into boxing. Obviously, not many women go into the sport from a young age. And I've read online that you were discouraged by some people when you first took up the sport. So I wondered if you could kind of talk about that experience when you first started taking up boxing. Yeah, so I first started when I was 11 and I'm from quite a rough estate in Hartlepool. So there's a lot of like, I was a very tomboyish player. I played football, netball, anything you can think of. I was out on the front with all the lads. And I was about 11 and one of my neighbours, I always remember him running up the street with this little plastic trophy, little boxer about that big. <laughs> and look, look what I got from boxing, look what I, at the time I'm thinking, oh, well, I want a trophy, I want a boxing trophy. I had the football trophies, I had the netball. I thought, I want a, I want a boxing trophy. So I'll just stem from there, and I just totally fell in love with it. Although it's an individual sport, I fell in love with being in the gym, and it is like a team. Mm. And I'm very competitive, even now. I think I'm I'm worse than ever. And everything was a competition in the gym. Who could do the most press-ups? Who can hit the bag the fastest? And I, I just loved it. Absolutely fell in love with it from the off. 
That was at the age of 11. So to move us a little bit further forward in your life now, I wanted to kind of talk about your amateur career because I was really intrigued looking into your amateur career because you fought absolutely everywhere, all around the globe. Just some of the places I found out, Barbados, China, South Korea, Kazakhstan, Brazil, of course, for the Olympics. How did you find traveling in terms of traveling as an amateur boxer? Was it something you looked forward to and enjoyed or a burden almost? So I'd been boxing since I was 11 and I kind of got onto the... The Great Britain squad. I got into the England squad at around about the age of 16. Mm. So that's when I'd started going to these countries, Bulgaria, Greece, for tournaments. And then I got on the GB team at the age of six, uh, sorry, 17. Mm. I'd just gone 17. And thinking I was on that squad for eight years. Wow. And once a month, you'd go to a tournament. So once a month, I was travelling abroad. And at first, it's amazing. Mm. absolutely amazing and then it got to the point where I was sick I was sick of living out of a bag I was sick of being on a plane but it's nice there's no better feeling when you're sat on an aeroplane and thinking oh although I was going away to a tournament you've still got that holiday feeling yeah where the woman's coming along with the trolley and you're down to say oh, I'll have a vodka and vodka and orange and you've got to say oh, <laughs> water <laughs> the only downfall yeah, so obviously you went to these amazing places. Did you make sure that whilst you were there, although of course you were there for boxing, you had to make sure you're in the zone. Did you make sure you took in the sights and kind of made the most of being in these obscure places? Not at the time. Not at the time, I never. But getting later on in my amateur career, I did. And a lot of the countries I visited early, early on, still in Europe, sorry, still had their own currency. Mm. In almost every country I've been to, I've got a note. Oh, really? Yeah. So I've got a lot of a lot of currency from before the tenth of the euro. Nice. Like the lev or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, obviously the the ones I'd been to on holiday, Spain, things like that. But when we started going to places in Asia, China in particular, I've uh, been to Great Wall of China, temples, things like that. But like I said, as time went on, it was kind of. Oh, Oh, we're going on a site to one day again, on the temple. But like I said, as I got older and I'd started thinking, oh, we're going here, I've never been here before. And then I'd like research, oh, well, I want to go here when we've got a day off and things like that. But yeah, I've been everywhere. And I don't want to say I'm lucky because I have worked really hard. Even when I, I flick through my passport, I'm looking at all the stamps and places I've been. But it's not... A lot of my friends used to say, "Oh, how lucky are you! You you're going. I don't know. You're going to you're going to Greece. You're going to Spain. You're going to Bulgaria." But things people don't realise: we're not going to sunny beach, or we're not going to Paris. You're going to the middle of nowhere, where there's just a boxing gym and other female boxers. Yeah. And then if you're lucky, you'll have a day out where you sat in a bus for eight hours and an hour of walking about. Then you're back in the bus. That, that is what it was. And I think that that contributed to that whole, oh, we've got to go to another, we're going to another country. It's not like, oh, wow, you're going to China, you're going to Russia, you're going to Miami, you're going to do this and do it. No, you're literally there to box and you're, you're in that sweaty boxing gym for 10, 14 days. Yeah. So, of course, you've been to some of the lesser travel places as well, because I imagine in your own personal life, you wouldn't want to necessarily go to places like Kazakhstan, from the lesser known places that people perhaps haven't visited, what would you recommend as perhaps a hidden gem which people should check out? My favourite country I've ever been to is, funny enough, Japan, in particular yeah. Tokyo. So 
we were the World Championships were in South Korea, and they were in a place called Jeju Island, which mm. was known as a holiday destination for China, uh, all that Asian side. This is where they went on on holiday, and that's where our tournament was held. Nice. I remember going online and saying, "Oh, it looks beautiful, it looks gorgeous." So our pre-camp to get us used to the climate and the time was in Japan, and that was absolutely amazing. Every morning I'd, I'd look out on the balcony and there'd be like old age pensioners, like sweeping the roads, pruning the bushes. It was just like the whole, I don't know if it was where just where we were, but the whole community was just like one. Yeah. And we'd go for little walks during the day down all the little side streets and it was spotless. Yeah. Honestly, it was, it was amazing. And one thing in particular, before we started putting all calories on packets, mm. I remember going over there and then he had a digital. I remember um, going into a shop and there was a little digital uh, like cord at the bottom and it was flicking around like calories, carbs. And this was before we'd started doing it in, in this country. Wow. So I remember thinking, wow, it was just like there were light years ahead of us. At this point, I couldn't wait to get to Jeju Island. And when I got there, I just thought, what what a, it's nothing like what it was on the internet it was it was awful was it really it was awful. i don't know if it was because we went in we were in the off season it was freezing cold it was so yeah. cold for it like any other asian country i've ever been it was freezing it was dirty it was so dirty and they had a lot of i didn't really see it in china or japan but they had a lot of you see it a little bit in greece you know when you go to rest, restaurants and you have the fish tanks outside and yeah. you just filled with fish but there it was like over capacitated it looked cruel mm. it was just jump like the fish couldn't even move and crabs and sting little stingrays and all sorts and it was just I remember walking past this restaurant every day and we were there for about 10 days it, you could tell it was the same fish and it was just jump and it was just awful so just to take it back to your amateur career momentarily and talk about the Olympic Games, you've represented Team GB at two separate Olympic Games in London and in Rio. So I wanted to ask you, what's it feel like to represent Team GB? Um, it's, 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 an, it's an honour. It's an absolute honour. But I do think it's one of them things, unless you're one of them people that live in the moment, which I believe is the best, best way to, to live. But... It's kind of one of them where you don't realise how good it was until it's over. Mm. And then it's kind of, oh, well, I wish I'd have done that and I wish I'd have done this. But it is, I've got, I've got experiences that some people have never get to experience in their life. You travel the world, you meet these people and it's all for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main plus for someone who's come from nothing. Mm who'd only ever been to Spain and or whatever. The highlight the highlight of travel was the Isle of Wight. It's absolutely amazing. And then of course let's talk about Rio because as amazing as London is as a city, Rio's that little bit more exotic. And I'm sure people will be a bit more interested to hear your thoughts on Rio. So when you're in Rio, did you make sure that you went around the city, kind of made the most of that experience? Well, um I'd be I'd actually been to Sao Paulo in 2010. No, nice. sorry, 2011. I went to Sao Paulo. Uh, we had a training camp there and we had a boxing tournament. Mm. And I remember going to, um, what's that famous beach called in, in Rio? Uh, Copacabana. Yeah, we went to Copacabana Beach for the day. 
um, it was a couple of hours in the in the car, and I used to I used to have this like little thing gold chain with a little tiny boxing glove on, which um, I'd had since I was about twelve. I got for Christmas. And I used to always wear it, so I got off the bus and I literally had a bikini top on and a pair of shorts. And within a split second, someone had flew past me on a on a push bike and reached out to try and grab my necklace. Really? And I had, like reactions, yeah. I kind of like like turned away and he'd missed, but I had massive claw marks on me on my chest where he tried really? to get the necklace. Yeah, so that was <laughs> that was a bit of a oh my god. When that happened, I just wanted yeah. to go in the van. So then when we'd got a Rio. In 2016, we were all warned about the, the crime and we were all advised not to leave the, the athlete village, but you've got to, haven't you? You've got to go and see Christ the Redeemer and mm. all stuff like that. So I just remember a beautiful, beautiful country, but a lot of poverty. Um, it was one of them where you'd stop at traffic lights and there was just beggars and mm. little kids come on up to the car. But I, I do think that was a that was a lot more than what it probably would have been because of the Olympics. Mm. But yeah, be- beautiful country. I remember we went up to go and see Christ the Redeemer. So mm. you go up on this like lift and you sat on this lift for about 20 minutes. Got the top and it was foggy. So all you could see was <laughs> all you could see was the feet. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another flop. <laughs> oh that's funny so to move it away from uh, your amateur career now and progress it on to moving to your pro career um i was reading a few interviews in the preparation for this interview and i read an interview did with the guardian where you spoke about your amateur career and boxing largely in front of empty stadiums you made your debut in vegas on the mayweather versus mcgregor undercard of course that was one of the biggest fights in boxing history so were you nervous going from largely empty stadiums to probably the biggest fight or one of the biggest fights in boxing history? Well, this is the thing for me. So after 2016, I'd done two Olympic Games. I'd got to the quarterfinals in both, just missed out on a on an Olympic medal. And I fell out with the look, I fell out with the love with, with boxing. Hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it anymore. I was ready to walk away. And then the next thing I had a a, a mutual contract with Mayweather Promotions. It mm. offered me a professional boxing contract and it was to move to America, this and that. And it was just a total dream. Mm. I remember thinking, oh my God, it's a sign. I can't, I can't walk away. I've, I've, it's a dream. So for me, since I turned pro, I've, I can honestly say that I've never been nervous because for me, I always think, well, this wasn't my plan. Mm. I was never meant to be here. So for me, it's, I always think, God, it's a bonus. What a bonus. Just embrace it. Mm. I'm kind of doing what I should have done all them years ago on Team GB. Mm. Everywhere I'm going, I'm like, wow. Taking photos where <laughs> instead of being that, that moody cow sat in the bus, couldn't wait to get back to the hotel. <laughs> so for the debut, I was I was on first. So I think I was on at about five o'clock. So there was about 12 people in the stadium. My mum, dad and sister being three. Mm. There was a couple of lads from Sunderland and then that was it. So it was just, it was just like it's how it's always been. <laughs> nice. So did you make sure to enjoy the fight after your fight? No. So this is the thing, right? So I got given the price of the tickets was, was really expensive. I remember being given a ticket and I think it was about $4,000 and it wasn't even near the front. So wow. It was really expensive. So I got given two tickets Sorry, three tickets off my management. Mm. As you would, I give them to my mum, dad, and sister. There was a load. Of, I think there was about 
10 friends and family that had come over hoping to get tickets, but obviously they couldn't. And I'd been given three. So mm. my mum and sister got them. So then after our box, as soon as I went back to the change rooms, the next thing, security come. You've got to leave. You've got to leave. I'm like, well, I've just, I've just boxed. I'm, I'm still sweating. Can I get changed? You've got to leave. You haven't got a ticket. I was like, yeah, because I've boxed. No, no, no. You need a ticket. You need a ticket. So anyway, rings my manager. Oh, they're, they're chucking me out. Well, I'll give you three tickets. That was for you and your two cornermen. I was like, well, I've given them and my family. Yeah. What, what do you expect? Sorry, you haven't got a ticket. So I didn't even get to see the fight. <laughs> that is unbelievable. I know. Didn't even get to see. I got I practically, I couldn't even enjoy my shower. <laughs> I, I quickly get changed and, and get out. But for me, I, I went and I went and um, met up with the rest of me, my friends and family, and we just we just had a great time. So it'd be fair. Mm. Probably worked out better for me. Yeah, so you're talking about having a good time. Of course, you're in Las Vegas. What did you get up to after the fight? Did you have an amazing night? I can't even remember what we've done, but I absolutely loved Las Vegas. Mm. Loved it. It's just, I'm a people watcher, and that is just the place to be yeah. for, for a good stare. Really. <laughs> I love Fremont Street. That was my favourite. And I, it's probably been demolished now, but when I was there, there was still little bits of the old casino, the where the, like the golden nuggets, the way demolishing them, but there was still a little bit of them left, you know, like they, they were behind like boards and stuff, but you could still see the old signage and the old light. Mm. And um, yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to move on slightly away from boxing now to kind of learn a bit more about how you travel in your own personal life, because you've obviously devoted your life to boxing, but is travel something that you enjoy in your downtime as well? Yeah, 100%. But at the moment, I kind of feel because I, I train for so long, when I've actually boxed and the job's done, I just want to chill out at home. I can't, sometimes I can't, the thought of being stuck in an airport, being stuck mm. on a plane kind of dampens it a little bit. So my sister now lives in Australia. So I've I've been over there and I, I've got I've got plans to, to go back over this year because she was over here last Christmas. Not this Christmas going the Christmas before. So it's kind of our turn to go over there. But I have got a I have got a dream that I'd love to obviously with with Japan being my favourite favourite place, I'd love to do uh, the Trans Siberian Express from oh, yeah. Obviously, go all the way through um, <clears throat> Europe, and then all the way right across Russia. It takes a week yeah. to get all the way to East Russia to where you can get the ferry to Japan. But I'd like to do, you know, have a couple of days here, a couple of days there, just seeing different things. And I suppose it'd be a lot different when I when I get to Russia, and it's a bit, bit bleak once you get past Saint Petersburg. But yeah, that is my dream. And then I'd love to do a good six months in Japan. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, just pure travel. But that is that is that is my dream. Nice. I like that as well because it's it's something we've never had discussed on the podcast before. So I love how unique that is as well. In terms of trains, are they your favourite mode of transport then? Because obviously to spend such a long time on a train, you must have to love it. Well, um, to be honest, although I've I've tr- been all over the world, I'm not much of a flyer. Hmm. Okay. I've never been. I've never been. I think it's the whole not being in control. Mm. So I've never been much of a flyer, although I've been all over. Just there's people say you get used to, but I don't think you do. <laughs> Obviously, I've seen. I've researched this Trans Siberian Express and even play. Uh, sorry, 
I think Jane, it might have been Jane McDonald. Oh, it was Chris Tarrant or someone done it. And it was on, <laughs> it was on the IEV or something and I'd watched it every... No, do you know what it was? Um, Joanna Lumley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joanna Lumley done it. And, um, and she was in first class. And I can't remember, it wasn't a lot of money. I thought, yeah. God, I could do that for a couple of weeks. You have your own bunk, your own room, your own bathroom. Yeah. The restaurant looked lovely. Would you have to make sure you're in first class, though? Yeah, I think I couldn't slum it. <laughs> I think if you're going to do something like that, you've got to pull out all the stops, haven't you? <laughs> what is it about Russia? Because obviously it's not a traditional bucket list destination. What is it about Russia which intrigues you? Well, I've been to, I've been to St. Petersburg before. I actually boxed there. Mm. And I think it's the same with a lot of them uh, old Soviet countries, Kazakhstan, uh, Uzbekistan. They're all very like, all the buildings are just like blocks, aren't they? Mm. Well, it's, it's, quite, it's quite rough, but I, I like it when you can see how say the other half live but when people are still surviving in little huts and mm. you know like getting about on horse and cart things like that for me that I, I like seeing things like that because I think now we live in a world where people can't survive well I know I can't survive without my phone yeah <laughs> and some people have probably never held a mobile phone before and I just I love I love you know that thought of people people still live like that yeah it's so far removed from what we know in the UK, isn't it? Mm-hmm, 100%. And obviously you mentioned that Japan is your favourite country. I want to make sure we talk about it again. So Japan, an incredible country. It tops so many people's bucket lists. You've been there, of course, in the past. What is it about Japan that makes it so special to you? I think it's just the culture. Mm. It reminds me a little bit of Sweden. Like I've been to Sweden and they're very economical. Mm. And I'd say in the whole of Japan's like that, but it's like nothing's wasted. And, mm. you know, for example, they have this this tree and they look after this tree since it's been mm. a seed. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah, type. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just very zen. <laughs> so in your perfect trip to Japan, that will happen one day in the future. What do you want to make sure you achieve while you're there? So, um, I'm sure it's Mount Fuji. Yeah, it is, yeah. I'd, I'd love to go and visit there. Mm. And also, the, they have like hot springs where they have their monkeys. So the bubbling hot springs, so I'd love to go there. And I'd, like I said, I'd love to I'd love to just, just kind of like travel and just have a, like the odd day here and the odd day there and no ties and, you know, like, like mm. that type of thing. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I also love, I do love a Wagamama. So, yeah. That, uh, yeah. I wouldn't mind eating that for six months. <laughs> nice. So six months is obviously an extended period of time to go traveling. Have you ever done that before in the past? Because obviously sport has been such a huge part of your life for you pretty much your whole life. Um, yeah. So I've been to Thailand twice. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the first time I'd went, I'd kind of planned everything. And it, it, this was a good couple of years ago, but it kind of ruined it for me because I kind of had the the mindset of, oh, I've got to follow the plan. Mm. I haven't got enough money because I budgeted and things like that. And it kind of ruined it for me. The second time I'd went, my cousin was was backpacking with one of her friends. And I literally said about two, two or three days before that I'd come out. So I'd joined in on their trip. Oh wow! It was just oh, it was unbelievable. I done I only done two weeks, and they'd been there a couple of months. So I think they were at the point where they wanted to come on, but mm. oh, it was just amazing. It was kind of oh well, you've planned it, you've booked the hotel, your problem. I just <laughs> back and <laughs> uh, it was it was I enjoyed it so much better uh, the second time. And I think it it opened my eyes of you don't have to stick to the plan and. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be to the full stop of everything. Because at the end of the day, traveling is about about fun and new experiences rather than, oh, well, we've got to leave now or we won't catch the train. And I've learned if you want to stay in that pub a little bit longer, you'll stay in that pub a little bit longer. Yeah, exactly. Whereabouts in Thailand did you go to then? Uh, so the first time I did most of the north. Mm. And then I didn't even do Phuket the, the first mm. time. I think I just done most of the north and then one or two islands. Whereas the second time I did like Phuket and a couple of little villages outside of Phuket and then most of the little islands. Nice. And um, yeah, it was, it's lovely, a lovely country. Is that one of the most relaxing places you've ever visited? Yeah, I would say it is. Yeah, definitely. No, actually I'm lying. So getting back to the amateur days. <clears throat> so at this point I was only 18 and it was one of the first major tournaments I'd been to. And it was the Women's World Championships. And it was in Barbados mm. with a pre-camp in Miami. So, God, what a, what a, tri- what a trip. Yeah. So, <laughs> in Barbados, like I said, I'm, I'm quite into my wildlife and stuff like that. And I remember going down to the beach one morning. And there was just a massive, giant turtle. It's kind of like, I would say, clawed it, but was like 
pulled itself onto a beach and everyone was like taking photos, but it was huge. It was the size of like a dining room table. And then I remember uh, being on the jet skis and I was kind of petrified. So I was going about two miles an hour, but I just remember that seeing this thing come out of the water and I slowly drove past and it was a massive stingray. But even there, like the culture was just so laid back. The weather was amazing. Mm. I think we were, we were in Bridgetown. We went, so we went on a massive fancy resort. Mm. So it was nice to see you know, some of the local people and people on the side, the side of the road selling the little bracelets and things like that. It was, it was, it was a great trip. Yeah. It's one that I've, um, I'll never forget. Sounds amazing. And you mentioned that you love seeing animals and that kind of stuff yeah. whilst you're away. Is there a particular memory from a trip that you've spent and you've seen animals in their natural habitat? So the first time I'd went to Thailand, I kind of got caught up in the hall. You've got to do the elephant thing. You've got mm. to do the elephant. So I remember like looking for ages for like an elephant sanctuary mm. that were like, it was like cruelty free or whatever. And when I got there, I remember thinking, oh, this isn't, it was one way you could stay on the complex. And we were there for about three days and there was elephants that had just been tied up there since we got there. And it, that kind of put, put me off. But the second time I'd went, my cousin had really researched it. And to be honest, it is it is what it is, isn't it? It's kind of the, 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 the wild animals, so really they should never be tied up or anything like that. But my me, me friend, had, uh, sorry, my cousin had found this actual rescue sanctuary and it was just outside of Paquette. And when I got there, they just weren't tied up or anything. They were just roaming about on this, this like kind of patch of land. But because they're being rescued, they're already used to humans. So they'd just come up to you type thing. Amazing. That was really nice to, to experience and witness, really. Amazing. And I want to take it back now to kind of cities and move it away from animals and natural habitats. Do you have a favourite city that comes to mind? Do you know what? I actually quite did, although it was quite like blocky type thing. Mm. I did quite enjoy um, St. Petersburg. Mm. I can't remember what they were called, but there was like, Temples, they weren't even temples, like churches with big, colourful domes okay. on the top. They were really, they were really nice. And we'd went into a couple, I can't, can't even say the churches or whatever they are. And mm. we'd go in and they were all like, like hand-painted inside. And that, that, that was, that was quite nice. And it was a bit weird because like I said, it, it looked quite, parts of it looked really quite scruffy mm. and rough. And then the next thing you'd just see like a Rolls Royce or a Ferrari flying, like, mm slowly driving past it was <laughs> it was a bit uh deceiving but um yeah that was that was a lovely lovely little city you remember a particular fun memory from your time in st petersburg yeah i won gold <laughs> <laughs> there we go tick that box straight away <laughs> what a great answer no i just i just remember that it was bitly cold mm. i think we were there in late november and it was freezing and i think it was only that one particular day we'd had a little mooch around the market and we were selling a lot of knives i don't know if that's kind of a, a russian thing but there was a lot of weapons for sale in this market i don't know what market we were at but like i said we went into a couple of uh, temples so to speak and there had a couple of pictures inside and that was nice nice obviously we don't go on city breaks nowadays it kind of seems like a thing of the past but in 2019 let's say did you enjoy going on city breaks was that something you did yeah i do um i used to be proper into my beach holidays but now i think maybe because i'm getting older and i'm starting to appreciate things a bit more i do like the city breaks um I think it was 2018 i'd went to krakow in poland and that was that was nice and um, that was a nice little 
kind of European city with a lot of history. Yeah. We'd done the Holocaust camps. Yeah, Auschwitz. Auschwitz, sorry. And we went Auschwitz 1 and Auschwitz 2. Mm. I, I think of myself as being quite, like, there's not really anything apart from hurting animals and children that kind of gets to me. Mm. I remember doing the Auschwitz 1 and we went to the second one and I didn't even get out of the van. I felt ill. I felt absolutely absolute like sick to the stomach it was awful and it was dead eerie as well mm. it just wasn't a I think it's one of them things you've got to see but if you're going for a nice <laughs> weekend away <laughs> oh, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it but the city itself was lovely lovely it was nice things to see a lot of culture it was mm. it was nice and it was I think it must have only been about an hour an hour and 20 on the on the, the flight yeah yeah nice and close yeah yeah so that was a that was a nice nice trip and obviously that's a historical event linked to a place and that's what travel can bring us I suppose the the opportunity to learn about historical events in the place which they occurred is that something you like to do whilst you're away try and pick up the essence of the city or the place that you're in yeah 100% like I said I think because I'm getting older I'm, I'm less drawn to the whole of literally in the beach for two weeks mm. I'm more I'd rather get out and about and see um, I'm quite interested in architecture I quite like architecture in particular I'm more like 1930s mm. like whole industrial I quite like the look of that and um, I remember we we Peter had took me and Huey on a training camp last year actually it was last mm. Last December, or sorry, November, and we, we went to Amsterdam with Peter, like, known Amsterdam quite well. He, he Oh, God, he, he walked the legs off us, and <laughs> he had us all over looking at historical buildings. And um, <laughs> is it the Reich Museum? Yeah, it is, yeah. That's brilliant in there. Yeah. I, really, I, um, I got a shock at how you go through the century, the, you know, the 1700s, 1800s. It's, um, that, was a, that was a great trip. Nice. And what is your favourite thing to do in Amsterdam other than the Reich Museum? Eat. <laughs> yeah. I spend most of my time making weight. Once you get into the little, uh, the little ginnelways and it's like chips, it's like waffles, donuts, so it's just constantly constantly walking about on, on a munch. <laughs> Nice. That's an amazing link as well, because I wanted to talk about food um, and your enjoyment of food whilst on your travels. Would you consider yourself a foodie? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think since boxing at the age of 11, like I said, bo- I've never struggled with my weight. I've always been quite fortunate that I've made weight quite easy. I've always been a little bit... Well, saying that, for the 2012 Olympics, my female weight class was 75 kilograms, which was middleweight. Mm. And at the time, I was only 69 kilos. So I got away with it. Whereas I know a lot of boxers struggle and some of them don't eat for eat or drink for 24 really? hours. Yeah, making weight. It's really quite brutal. But I think because I've spent most of my life trying to eat the right thing, when I've got time off, I just go absolutely crazy. Mm. It's a bit, it's, 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 it's like abuse. Yeah. <laughs> I can honestly say, I honestly think I'm addicted to sugar. Is that your guilty pleasure then, sugar rather than savoury stuff? Yeah, sh- honestly, sugar. Because it's one of them things, once, you, once you, you you spike your system with sugar, then you crave it more. You crave mm. it more, you want it more. I give up sugar for my New Year's resolution. I lasted nine days. <laughs> <laughs> Last weekend, I spent three days just eating Harry Bowes chocolate. Yeah. Ordering, what did I order the other day? Cornflake cake with custard and milkshakes. And <laughs> I felt like I never slept for about 48 hours because I was just like <laughs> on the sugar buzz. So as a lover of sugar, where is the best place you've ever eaten sugary treats whilst away? Uh, I'll have to say, I'd have to say Amsterdam. 
Yeah. Was there a particular thing you ate whilst you were there, which comes to mind? Waffles. And I suppose the waffles taste the same everywhere, but I think it's just everywhere you look. It's just like donuts, crepes, pancakes, waffles. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. But let's talk about some bad food as well, because obviously when you're taken away to these far-flung countries, you must have eaten some stuff which you necessarily didn't want to eat. Is there a meal which comes to mind which was just horrendous? Yeah. So like I said, I've I've been to China a couple of times and every time, we've been we've been given food to take so kind of a bit like i can describe it as like instant noodles but Mm. they'll be nutritious ones so they'll be packed full of protein and things like that obviously when you go to tournaments you're kind of all in the same hotel all the all the countries are in the same hotel and there's, there's, there's food laid on for you. But I remember one time in China, I think it might have been the first time I'd ever been, getting there and it was just like, it was like a, a chicken's foot <laughs> chopped off at like, I don't know if, you know if they have, but chopped off at the ankle mm. in like tomato sauce. And then you'd walk along and it'd be like a chicken head in like a curry sauce. And it was like they'd just chopped up the whole chicken and put a different type of <laughs> type of sauce on it. So I don't even think that whole trip I even went into the dining room. Wouldn't you eat that then? Too oh, far no. for you. I had my kettle and my soup and noodles for two weeks. <laughs> so let's let's move on and talk about some more negative sides of travel because it sounds like you've picked up some stories from along the way. Is there a place that you would never go back to? Yes. So when I was on about the whole, like the Solvia countries, mm. they're all pretty much the same. But there was a kind of midway through my career, Kazakhstan, it had this massive, the government had just pumped loads of money into boxing. So the next thing you knew, Kazakhstan was uh, producing all these champions, uh, male and female. So we were based in Sheffield at the Institute of Sport where we'd have, uh, we'd stay up there during the week and we'd train and go back home on a weekend. And different countries would come and stay and we'd, we'd spar them and train with them and vice versa, we'd get invited over. So we'd went to Kazakhstan and we literally landed. I want to say Stania. Mm. I think that's where we would flew to. So the boys and the girls had went together, and when we when we landed, we'd got split up. So the boys went to go and train with the, the, the Kazakhstani men, and we went to go and train with the women. So we're driving out of the city, and we drove and we drove, and we were in the van for about five hours. You were driving in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't even a road. It was like a dirt road. Camels just casually stood in the middle of the road and then we got to this this place and it, it honestly the only way I could describe it was like a prison it was just had this like massive fence around it it was just like a a, a block building with it didn't even have a running track around it so anyway we got there and it was awful it was it was like prison there was there was a tv there were little tiny old-fashioned tv two beds in a room with a, a toilet a kind of funky shower curtain and no English channels. There was, everywhere was just practically painted like in this gray color, no color, no paintings, nothing in the gym. There was literally a boxing gym, uh, sorry, a boxing ring and a couple of bags. Mm. But served the same food every day, which was like a stew. And then a couple of boiled potatoes and you know, a chicken leg or something. Yeah. Something like that. And I remember there was, um, for some reason, none of those boxes had any money. I don't know why we, oh, we had English money. And we mm. didn't have the, the currency or whatever it was. And there was a little tiny hatch in the, um, the restaurant. And uh, 
on a night, this this little hatch would open and it'd be like crisps. Um, <laughs> well, their version, Lays, well, yeah. Walker's Lays, Coke, Fanta, but their version. Mm. And obviously the woman just wouldn't take no English money. So we were there for about 10 days. And honestly, it was it was the worst trip I've ever been on. I, it, there was just nothing to do, no Wi-Fi. Like I said, no English channels. It was awful. And I remember like... All week, I was just begging the coach because he had American dollars. Please, will you buy me something from the hatch, please? And he was like, right, if you if you spar go... This is like a 60-odd-year-old man, and we're all like 30s, 20s. And he was like, right, if you spar well, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll buy you something from the hatch. So all week, I was going, oh, I'm going to get a can of Coke, and I'm going to get a bag of prawn cocktail. And that's all I kept going on about. So when the last day come, he went, right, you can have one item each. <laughs> It must have come about like 50 pence for a can of Coke and a pop. And he, yeah. So in the end, I ended up going with the, the crisps and it was the biggest regret I've ever made. They were, I don't know how long they'd been sat there. They were like, stale. Honestly, I could have cried. <laughs> and there's a sweet tooth too. Yeah, yeah. And then the worst thing was when we got, got back to the airport and met up with the boys, they'd had the, the trip of a lifetime. They stayed in the five-star hotel in the city, all fancy and... Um, equipment state-of-the-art you know training facilities and it was just pure hell I even remember in the the weight gym was mm. the most old-fashioned weight machines I've ever seen it was like something out of a, a 1970s fitness video it was <laughs> pulleys and uh, it was but the yeah I'd, I'd maybe the city maybe Stan is nice but I don't know where we went but it was awful awful trip well, if it's any consolation, it's made an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to move on and talk about something a little bit more positive now. So we've heard about the place you'd never go back to. Is there a place that you could always go back to? I'd went to... See, I, like when I was saying about the, 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 the travelling just after camps, and I think, oh, God, I don't really want to be sat here, sat on a plane for this many hours. But I, I like to go quite... Well, not local, but like I said, the little city breaks that, that are only an hour and a half mm. away. I'd went to Greece last year for a wedding. I really enjoyed that. I didn't think I would. And I think that might have been about four hours away, mm. which was just 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 right for me. I was meant to go to Cyprus last March. No, sorry, last I- I- April, I think it was. And obviously that got cancelled because of COVID. Mm. So, yeah, just, just staying in them, them, them European countries. Do you find that you tend to go back to places more than once or are you someone who likes to tick off places from a bucket list and kind of accumulate as many countries as you can? I think because I've, I've been to so many and because I, I don't really get that much time off, it's one of them where I just want to make sure that I'm going to I'm going to have a good time. I'm not going to turn up in the hotels minging or, or I'm not going to like the area. So although I haven't, I haven't been to the same place same places, same hotels before. That these places where I think, oh yeah, I, I would go there, would go there again. Like I said, mm. I, I would go back to Greece. I've been to Cyprus before. I quite like Tenerife. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do like because it's it is what it is. It's yeah. one of Britain with sun, isn't it? And it's 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 nice. Although it is quite expensive, Tenerife, I think. And just on Greece, what's your favourite thing to do when you're in Greece? And where in particular do you tend to go to? Because obviously there are so many amazing islands to choose from. Well, I've been to Crete. I've boxed in Crete a couple of times. Mm. And I remember going there and it was like, it was very, a lot of the buildings had been, you know, half half pulled down. It was, it was like stray dogs everywhere. And it looked very underdeveloped to me. Mm. But like I said, I went to, last year I went to, um, 
I couldn't tell you, it's like a party place in Greece. Uh, uh, Zante? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> one of my old coaches got married in Zante. <laughs> I actually didn't think I'd enjoy it, but I, we were literally just off the strip. But like I said, I'm a people watcher, so <laughs> <laughs> I actually really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> I do. I like to keep up with my training, so I'd like get up early on the morning and run down the beach and there'd be no one there and it was just... It was lovely, really nice. Nice. And a question which just sprung into my head. Of course, you could essentially choose to live wherever you want. I wonder if there's anywhere that you've been on your travels that you've thought, actually, you know what, I could move here and live here permanently. Well, with me saying about going to um, Japan, I'm actually doing, the, I'm in my last year of doing a, a sports degree, which with the ambition of doing me teaching so mm. I, can, I can, you know, just, just teach. And I would like to experience teaching in Japan, mm-hmm. but obviously with the whole, the language barrier and whatever, but yeah. without being a bit cheeky, I'm kind of hoping they'll just see on me, see they are two-time Olympian and they'll just kind of give me a job. But also I'm, I'm, I'm really close to my sister who lives in Australia, like mm-hmm. really close. And I've been over there before and she lives in Brisbane on the Sunshine, on the, the Sunshine Coast. And I'd, I'd love to, maybe not settle down there forever, but I'd love to go out there and, and kind of be close with her and live with her and maybe maybe teach out there because I know they're quite big on the sport. Mm. Yeah, so if I have to pick two, I'd probably pick Japan and, and um, in Australia. Great choices. I'd love to live in both, to be honest. <laughs> so to bring it back to travel, just to wrap us up, I really, really want to hear about more bucket list destinations because hearing you talk about the Trans-Siberian Railway was amazing. So if I can ask you for another bucket list destination that isn't that, what would you say? So I've always, always getting back to the wildlife thing, I've always been interested in Africa. And there was a, it was a Top Gear episode. And I think they'd went through, they went through like Botswana and they all had like an Alabama each and they had to like drive right across Central Africa or whatever it was. But I'd, I'd love to go to them, them desolate African countries, like I said, where, like I said previous, where the, they haven't got the iPads and, yeah. and you see the women with all the bangles on their necks and you have the little huts and like how they're living, how they're still strongly believing all like their, their, sorry, their culture and things like that. But the only thing that puts me off about Africa is I've heard it's like can be very dangerous. Mm. Even you're going on safaris and things like that, yeah, yeah followed by like armed guards and i think that that really puts me off you sound like quite an adventurous traveler though because from the places which you've picked not only that you've been to that you enjoyed but also the places which you want to take off in the future they're like you say they are all quite dangerous places is that something that you kind of drawn to in a way well uh, can you ever remember bruce parry no i can't i'm afraid oh so he was a little bit before i always remember right being young and mm. my dad used to, it must have been on a Sunday night and my dad would never, never let us have the remote. So we used to have to sit and watch this Bruce Parry. <laughs> and he was kind of like a, he was kind of like a, what's that adventurous guy called? Bear? Bear Grylls. He was a little bit like Bear Grylls, but he used to go to like, do you know, the, all the tribes in the Amazon, the tribes mm. in Africa. And obviously he'd just walk, it'd just be him and his camera people. And there'd be all these, he'd go the, in the middle of the Amazon rainforest and, he'd live like them. So even he'd have like all the war paint on and he'd have like a little leaf, you know, tied around his down below and that, that type of thing. And I remember one time he'd, um, it was like a drug. Uh, it was a leaf that they used and they said it was like, it was a bit like, I don't know, what a, a drug that makes you hallucinate. Okay. And I remember him taking this this 
eating this leaf and he was just like ill for days. And I remember him saying that he'd just seen demons and, and seeing art, like, do you know, like just little little things like that. Mm. Um, so I think from a young age with my dad not letting us have the remote and having to watch this Bruce Parry running about in the Amazon with a little leaf. <laughs> it's been uh it's kind of i've been interested in from my young age oh that's amazing whereabouts in africa if you had to pick one country would you choose to go if it was safe i'd love to go to the congo yeah democratic republic of the congo because they they have the uh lowland gorillas there but obviously it's it's very i think it's a, a country that's quite i don't think they have a government there or whatever it's run by rebels i don't know what it is mm-hmm. but i don't think visitors are allowed to go there but the wildlife the forests and things like that but that's another thing so you've got like the likes of the congo which is like all greenery and forests and then the country next to it botswana is just all dry play like playing fields where it just it just never rains mm. is it? well thank you so much savannah it's been an absolute pleasure i've really enjoyed hearing all of your stories and really appreciate you taking the time to come onto the show oh no it's been brilliant alex thanks for having me on it was like it's just nice to talk about something different So there we go. That was episode 26 with Savannah Marshall, an absolutely fascinating chat and a lovely, lovely person too. It was so nice to meet Savannah for the first time and hear all of her travel stories. But if this was the first time you've ever heard Travel Talks, then it would be amazing if you could do a couple of things to help support the podcast. First of all, and nice and easy, if you could go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and click subscribe, that helps massively. If you want to support us even more, you can go and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And one final thing, go over to Instagram at Travel Talks Podcast and hit follow. We post loads of stuff about the show, so you don't want to miss that. I think that's everything. Anyway, Saunders and I'll be back next week with Chris Ramsey from Plug In Adventures to hear about the most adventurous stories we've ever heard on Travel Talks. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.